0: This has been Modern Being Human, a podcast about contemporary society. In this episode, I'm speaking with Lainey Liberty. Lainey is a best-selling author, international speaker, teen mentor, and alternative education advocate. And we'll talk about her experience living as an anarchist family, world-schooling, unschooling, and building healthy relationships between parents and their twins and teens. Hi, Lenny. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Hi. I'm so happy to be here and have this conversation with you.
0: Thank you for joining me today. I would like to start with your background. As you write, uh, as a result of the California economy crash, you closed your branding agency in Los Angeles, you sold your positions, and you embarked on that adventure with your son, who was 10 years old back then. So tell me, where did you travel and What kind of experience was it for you and your son, and how did it change your perspective on life?
1: Wow, that's a lot of questions. (laughs) It's a great place to start. Yes, it's true. As you mentioned, as a result of the economy crash, we did make the decision to change the life that we were living and I think it's important to share that as a parent, as a single parent, one of my greatest and deepest desires was to really be a parent all of my life. I really you know, I'm one of those little girls that always dreamt of being a mom. And when I finally became a mom at, in my early 30s, I wanted to make sure that um, I had healed the patterns of some of the past traumas that I had from my own childhood. I did a lot of work in preparation. I studied everything I could about attachment parenting. I really wanted to make sure that this experience was, you know, I was stepping into it prepared and very committed to being a healthy parent and not really perpetuating the generational wounds that I had endured. And so when this happened, when the economy crashed, And we knew that we were going to leave the United States. You know, it was really wonderful to be able to put into place a lot of the structures that I had read about and that I had, you know, studied and investigated with my own self-directed healing, but also the parenting that I parenting different formalities or modalities of parenting that I'd always read about. But for me, it had been this intellectual knowledge based knowing. And because of, you know, my my situation, being a single parent, business owner, and all of these other things, I really wasn't present in my own life and that and the life of my son. So the travel presented an opportunity to really be present. So we left the United States um, after about six months of preparation. And that was, that included the physical preparation of giving away all of our stuff or selling it, all of, you know, closing down my business, my agency. But the intellectual, emotional, and spiritual preparation and family culture preparation was also a massive part of what we set out to do. So we decided to have this adventure in partnership. We decided to try and say yes to more things because the, you know, the years that led up to this, I was saying a whole lot of no because, you know, business owner and overworked and not having a whole lot of time. So a whole lot of yes became part of our active consciousness. And in order for us to live, you know, being an anarchist, I don't want to live by anybody's rules. I wanted to make sure we stayed safe and centered and connected. And part of doing that was deciding and clearly agreeing that we're not going to live by the rules of anybody, but we were going to live by our values. And so when decisions came into our path in order Instead of just blindly saying yes, because we're agreeing to say yes, we were going to use the tool of running these decisions through our core values to see what was in alignment. That set us off on a journey, you know, then saying yes. One of the other things that we did was we decided really to question everything. What is this? We're not going to take anything for granted from a historical perspective. But as well as questioning the norms and questioning why do we have to do it this way? What You know, those sorts of agreements between us as mother and son brought a lot of of conversation and curiosity into the forefront of our experience. And that made the journey that we embarked on a really deep and profound learning journey. But we didn't know that's what was going to happen. I know that you want to, you know, kind of focus in on world schooling and unschooling and homeschooling and that sort of thing, but I do want to let you know that part of our journey was not the intention of doing those things because I didn't know that there was a thing called world schooling or unschooling. Of course, I had heard the term homeschooling, but I thought that was something really different. But it became a learning journey, and because we had decided to say yes and run everything through the core values to make sure we were in alignment, about eight months into our journey, Miro, who is my, that's my son's name, he said to me, Mom, can we just keep doing this indefinitely instead of the one year that we had planned, and because I wanted to say more yes and it it was in alignment with the core values that we had and were living from. We did say yes to that. And that's when I discovered there was this thing called unschooling or natural learning or even autodidactism, which I had never heard the term before. And we were doing it already. And it was so rich and powerful. And we were doing it in partnership, which was the thing that we set out to do. As I got deeper into exploring the nuances of self-directed learning, which is what I prefer to call it, but most people called it unschooling at the time, we were already doing it. We added these, these sort of flavors to our curiosity and started to recognize the intentionality of learning, like, you know, oh, here's this thing in front of us. How can we engage with this thing, whether it's a building or a historical site, or even just a block on a corner, you know, (laughs) there's something there to dig into. And that gave us like all of this permission to be the curious learning, you know, humans that we were wired and meant to be. So yeah, I sort of a little bit of my origin story. I'll just leave that there for now.
0: Right. Could you give some examples? Your first month maybe, where did you go? Where did you arrive? What did you see? And how did it all started in practical terms? Your daily routine, some more details about that, please.
1: I know a lot of people that are interested, their ears are perking up because they want to know what a day in the life is. And that's totally valid, but we try to allow our days to unfold based on inspiration and based on the internal feelings. Like what were we feeling like we wanted to do today? And when, you know, the world is open and there's limitless possibilities, anything is possible. And that's not something that we were in. We were familiar with because there were so many restrictions and boundaries and schedules, and responsibilities and things to do in conventional life. So there wasn't one day that was typical, and we wanted to make sure of it. But what that required from both of us was the accountability of speaking our truth. What was going on inside of us, and that was like I said, a really huge part of our journey. The internal worlds were such a rich part of our journey. And we saw during the first few months how that affected the external world. So to answer your question, the first few months we started off, we're from California, so we headed south. The first country was Mexico, which is actually... Almost 15, we just started on our 15th year of being away from the United States. I'm speaking to you from Mexico, the first place we started out, which now for the last three years has become my home. I'm a resident of Mexico, but that's a whole nother story. So we started off in Mexico and then we moved south. We went to Nicaragua and El Salvador and eventually Guatemala. And I want to give you an example of one of our sort of inspired learning adventures. I remember waking up one morning. We were in Guatemala. We were living in, we decided that we fell in love with Antigua, Guatemala. We said, "Okay, let's make this our home until we decide that it's not our home. And so we rented a house and we, you know, sort of got real deep into the culture, which is going deeper instead of wider became our sort of mantra so like what can we learn immersion is one of the best ways to learn and one of our daily routines because we loved it was getting up going you know having our coffee and then going to go sit in the park and we would either read or draw or just observe the world around us and there was a beautiful central park in in antigua and we spent a lot of time there and it was just so wonderful and there was everything from the beautiful fountain with the women holding their breasts and the water squirting out of their nipples which just was whimsical and you know tickled our, our you know um just our perception of the world around us. There was the indigenous women with the baby babies on their back, with the, you know, being held in the mantas, and they were tied in a very particular way. And each pattern of the manta, the blankets, had specific meaning. There were the young, you know, children, the indigenous girls that would come down from the surrounding communities in the mountains and sell chiclets. And there was a story behind... Why chiclets or these little candied gums were very popular in this area because of the gum trees and the, the history of the companies coming in and, and creating products? And, you know, then we had to examine what was our relationship and judgment around young children working and why did we have this perspective? that came from our own American-centric worldview. And we started to look and pull those things apart. And everything was about conversation and going deeper. And there wasn't one thing that wasn't a learning journey. Even from the deepest play, we were discovering something. And I remember, you know, born from this inspired thought that my son had was, you know, mom, there's so many different doors in this beautiful colonial city that have unique door knockers. Can we go look at all of them? And we said, yeah, okay. And we brought our little sort of, at the time there, you know, we had the first iPhone and it was really slow and not a whole lot of, you know, we're talking 15 years ago, not a whole lot of space where, can you imagine not having a camera phone? Sorry, a camera on your phone now, but back then we didn't, so we brought our little camera with us. and We decided to take pictures of all the door knockers around the city, and that took us weeks. And We started to catalog them, and we started to look at the history of the colonial development of the city and why door knockers and what that meant and why some were shaped like lions and others, birds, and others, just sort of these... Elaborate things where they came from in Europe. And it was, you know, it, maybe it's not going to be a life altering lesson, but it was the act of two people being intrinsically motivated and engaged and having this experience together. And really, nobody's saying don't learn that because it's not in part important or do learn that because i think it's important for you to learn it was because we were inspired to learn it and it became a joyous act and that early experience of learning about door knockers became our sort of motto of how we were going to move through the planet nothing was off limits or um too big or too small for us to tackle and there was no judgment around it and my son would inspire one journey i'd inspire another and because we had this agreement to have this experience or this adventure and partnership we supported one another and all of the sort of quote-unquote soft skills that we learned from that collaboration cooperation you know, logic, problem solving, supporting one another. All of this stuff became a rich part of the learning experience as well. And the recognition that the institutional learning didn't even touch them. You know, it became so incredible.
0: That's fantastic. Let's talk about the concepts of world schooling and unschooling. As you mentioned, you didn't know about that before, but now you, you you practice that and you teach that. What exactly do you teach and how do you work with teenagers and adults maybe if you do?
1: I am an advocate for alternative forms of education. Let me just give you some definitions to start off with. So your listeners have a Clarity around, you know, the words that I'm going to be using. So unschooling is a term that was coined by John Holt, who is often credited with um, creating this movement. And unschooling is learning outside of school. So it's learning as if school did not exist. And that's pretty beautiful. Homeschooling, on the other hand, is doing school at home. So there is a difference there. Unschooling, learning as if school didn't exist. And part of the unschooling movement then goes deeper into child-led education or self-directed education. Or, as I said before, autodidactic learning, which is self-learning. All of that is a big part of it. But it's not just the focus of separating the learning part from life where homeschooling in school says okay let's stop regular life and now focus on learning so unschooling is everything is a learning opportunity which is what we experienced when we were traveling without even having words for it So that's a little different. The only thing that I didn't like about unschooling was the term because it says what you're not doing. And so even though I started to, once we discovered that there was a name for what we were doing, I read everything I could about it. And like I said, I discovered the nuances and read all of the, you know, the leaders in this movement, got pretty deep into educating myself about learning, and that really lit me up because er, up until that point, I never questioned the difference between the term and the concept and the idea of education and the term and the concept and the idea of learning. I thought they they were one and the same, and I thought only learning only happened in the institution. I just agreed That was the cultural belief, and I never questioned it. But once I started to separate the two, I realized that I didn't need this prepackaged institutional offering to learn. We learn because we're carrying around this learning machine on the top of our shoulders in our school. It's called a brain, and that's what it does. It naturally learns. And so I didn't need the curriculum. In order to learn, I just needed the opportunity and the empowerment to learn. And that's really what's most important about education. And What I wanted my son to be was not an educated person, but he became an educated person by developing a deep love of learning. That was what was important to me. And in addition to the act of learning, the empowered learning or the intrinsic motivation to engage in his own learning, he then became educated and a lifelong learner, which he and I both consider ourselves. But anyway, I digress. So, so unschooling is learning without school. Homeschooling is doing school at home. And a lot of people use homeschooling as the umbrella definition. And unschooling is just an aspect or a part or a branch of homeschooling. I actually see it the other way around. That's okay. That's how people call it. What I discovered was because that the term unschooling didn't feel great to me, and we were traveling and we were learning from the world, I decided to use the term world schooling. And I, even though people had used the term before in other ways, I had never heard it in terms of travel and learning. And so I and my son sort of breathed life into the term and started talking about it on our blogs. And we then, you know, started we're, we were asked to write articles for different publications. And this is 15 years ago when we first started out. We did our own podcast. My son and I produced a podcast early on together about our travels and we called it World Schooling. And then we started to build community online, like through Facebook groups and email lists and things like that, about world schooling. And the movement started to grow, and there was lots and lots of interest because here's this you know crazy blonde woman and her son traveling you know indefinitely through latin america and writing about it and podcasting about it and talking about the things that they're learning together and nobody's telling them to do it and they're doing it on their own and it's rich and it's wonderful and it's interesting and i want to do it too so those were the comments that i would get so this facebook group started to grow and grow. And it was really important for me to create community because the questions I would get on my blog were, you know, Lainey, I read your blog and your son are world schooling. How wonderful. Where should I go in Asia? And I'm like, oh, I'm in Latin America. I don't know. And so the idea of community really helped me to understand that as a crowd, we could crowdsource these amazing ideas and support one another and never feel like we're doing this in a vacuum, which is how I felt in the beginning few, you know, the few beginning years of our journey. Like I said, we're about ready to start on our 15th year. It's been a long time. So I built a Facebook group that grew to 40,000 families and the movement got really big and there's lot of people now doing it i've ran 10 conferences for world schooling families in different places in the world and world schooling then is through the definition that i breathe right breathe life. How, how would you say that breathe life into i think sure. so
0: yeah And
1: <laughs> is you know i'm not every family's different every everybody's journey is different. There's not just one way to be in the world. So you can travel and go, you know, vacation. And as long as you have this intentionality of of discovering and learning and being open, that's world schooling. You could travel like we did long term and live nomadically and we did it. Um, As unschoolers, that's world schooling. You could travel with workbooks and curriculum and, you know, offline schooling and that's world schooling. You can, you know, be a family that moves to another country that's not your home country and immerse yourself in the country and the culture and enroll your children into school. Guess what? That's world schooling. So so I didn't want to make it restrictive. I wanted to make it inclusive to all the different ways that we could experience the world and learn from the world and learn from the cultures. And that became really more inclusive than some of the other modalities of homeschooling. There's Christian homeschooling and there's Charlotte Mason and there's like all these different things that that. Reduce it down to their own pedagogy. And I wanted to create a space for all different ways of learning to come together so we could learn from one another. Because cultural learning is, even though we're families and we come from different places, that diversity brings us more richness and more influence and support to try different and new things. And when you normalize an outside of the convention lifestyle or journey into learning, it feels a lot easier because when you're going against the grain as an anarchist and as a world schooler and as a partnership parenting family, you feel like you're the only one doing it. And so even though I do it a little differently than you and you do it a little differently than this family, all together we have this rich combined experience that we can share with one another. And as long as we keep the judgment out of the conversation, which goes into community building skills and what is the word I'm looking for, then you're creating a lot. You know, that's a huge part of building community. You're creating a stronger community, a a larger community than just a, a small niche.
0: This is beautiful, yes. And this is essential in the world we live today because it changes so quickly and we have to adjust all the time. This learning ability is actually prerequisite for our life, for being a wannabe. And my next question is about your son now. I suppose he is in his early 20s now. What path did he choose for himself? What is he doing now? And what are his plans?
1: Well, one of the beautiful gifts of learning through world schooling is really being present in your own life. And I just want to premise that I know a lot of people who go through the conventional system are always like, you know, I'm planning out my life for the next 50 years. I'm going to, you know, get this job. I'm going to get this degree. I'm going to get married. I'm going to, you know, whatever the thing is, right? We're really about living in the now, and that's really important. He's now 24. He does live in the same city as me here in Mexico. And about 10 years ago, we co-created a company together called Project World School. And we've been taking teens, hundreds of teens around the world uh, for these immersive learning experiences over the last 10 years. We've brought them to places like Greece and Spain and Thailand and Vietnam and Peru and South Africa and Mexico. So, you know, we've done these trips all over the world. we together you know we scout out the trips the locations we meet the contacts we do the budgets we plan we design the experience we've designed our own structure which includes a lot of inner world challenges to match the outer world challenges we do a lot of research and investigation about the kinds of cultural experiences we wish to have and so all that stuff we do together my son and i are the co-founders of this company so he currently (laughs) works at the company he's been working at it since we found it founded it and he was 14 then he's 24 now during the pandemic we did not run trips for obvious reasons And for almost three years, he worked as a self-directed facilitator for a learning community in the United States for self-directed tweens. So he was the perfect person to lead those trips. So, you know, he worked in that field. He's also a writer and also a game designer. So he and he's doing music producing there's because of the life that we live his belief just as mine is there's nothing you can't do he doesn't feel limited by the restraints of you know the normal path that, that most people plan for themselves so the world's open to him and he is living present whatever brings him joy that's what his focus is he's always busy he's he did some very deep dives into world mythology comparative mythology and you know has written volumes on that one of the projects that he's working on now and has been with a partner for the last like three years is a tabletop version it's version but it's an entirely different engine for dungeons and dragons but it's all based on greek myth and it's you know he's written volumes of monster guides and god guides and it's all based on you know his his passion for reading homer and the iliad and the odyssey i mean what kid do you know like is sitting in the corner with this big volume nobody ever said he couldn't do it or it wasn't appropriate for his age it lit him up and so much that we needed to go to Greece and produce a retreat based on myth and walking in the path of giants, the gods. He's not taking a traditional path. He's living a life of joy and it's rich and it's his interests are guiding that and um, kind of unique to this time. It's different than the time when you and I grew up, especially when I grew up, you're much younger than me. But we thought of life as going to work for a company or building our own company and sticking with that. He's all about, I, I've got multiple streams of income. I love working, facilitating learning. And I love kids. And I love my passion for gaming and my passion for mythology and my passion for music, and my passion for all these other things. And those are the ways that he's creating sources of income for himself. Plus, we still work together. <laughs> so in addition to like the team trips, we also teach parenting or facilitate. I hate I don't like the word teaching. We're facilitating the learning within another human being. We're facilitating partnership parenting by giving them the tools that we use. So we co-teach or co-facilitate the the uh parenting courses and I created in 2020 a company called Transformative Mentoring for Teens, which will lead me into sharing a little more about my book. But those are the internal tools that I used and that I researched from my own, you know, healing my own childhood traumas, which were many. (laughs) So that is it are the tools that i teach teens now he co-teaches with me the tweens the younger groups because that's his really his you know where he comes alive so yeah we gamify mental health and actually world views and core values and all the tools that we use we gamify it for the younger kids so they have experience with getting familiar with their internal worlds and their perception, or introspection, as some neurobiologists like to call it. Uh, that's
0: fantastic. Yeah, we we love to play as humans. It's how we learn, and that's how we experience life. My next question is about your book. It's titled "Seen, Heard." And understood parenting and partnering with teens for greater mental health. So, what is partnership parenting? How would you describe it? And how can you practice it? And how can you explain it to someone who has never heard the term and is curious about it?
1: Partnership parenting is, <laughs> I, I, and I hate to sound trite, but it, it's parenting and partners. <laughs> so I guess I'm going to just have to tell you. Why I approached it this way. I mentioned earlier. I come. My background is came from a, a lot of childhood trauma, and part of the result of that, my trauma response was hyper independence, which led me to the belief that I can research and learn anything I want. I can do it on my own. I'm powerful, and I've got a, a brain that learns. And the hyper independence served me in many ways in terms of my learning and my motivation and that sort of thing. I believe that's what led me towards the philosophy of anarchy. And I'm getting back to the partnership parenting, but the philosophy of anarchy is not accepting the authority of an an institution or another person just because they have authority. It's entering into. Relationships that are based on consent. So if I choose to give somebody authority then over me, then that I it was a consensual relationship. But in most parenting paradigms, the parents take this very authoritarian approach. Do this because I said so. I'm the parent, and that there's nothing beyond that. And I did not want to parent in this authoritarian paradigm because if you engage in an authoritarian paradigm there are rules which tend to be arbitrary in many instances like i'm the parent your bedtime is nine well why isn't it nine oh two you know why is nine or whatever the number is why is that the rule and it tends to be quite arbitrary just as 902 is quite arbitrary as well and what i found was when they set rules those rules are not really for the sake of the child they're for the convenience of the parent and that means it's a one-sided relationship and i did not want to be an authoritarian parent because the rules that would require me to be the rule maker. And then it would require me, once there's a rule in place, to be the rule enforcer. And then once I'm enforcing the rules, then I'd have to be the judge because I'd have to punish if the rules aren't followed. So I didn't want to take on those three rules. I had enough of those three, sorry, not rules, roles. I had enough of those roles in my own childhood. And I wanted to be in partnership with my son. And because we were sitting out from a conventional lifestyle in 2009, we were leaving. We could live however we wanted. And like I said, living without rules, we had our tools to help us make decisions. We weren't walking through the planet as punks or as delinquents. We were walking through the planet living in a way that was in alignment with our values and we were you know we are, we're virtuous people but we're not bad people we're you know we want we want to connect with humanity we want to grow we want to learn we want to heal we want to uh, contribute we want to connect is one of our key core values and we're doing this with reverence, like we're walking through the planet, not to change other people, but to change ourselves and learn from the world around us. And in order to live in that way, we've decided to do it in partnership. So he and I are, I'm not pulling him to do this. We are walking side by side. So we don't need rules we are accountable to one another and knowing what's inspiring us on the inside. And just as in a, an adult partnership or a romantic partnership or a business partnership, each person or group of people that come into partnerships bring different skill sets and different have carry different responsibilities and do different things. And just because I was the parent didn't mean that I was the rule maker, but i I was the breadwinner. I made the money, and that was one of the roles that I took on, obviously in this partnership. He took on many other roles and he brought playfulness and inspiration and and jubilance for life and all of these other things and we talked about what it means to be in partnership and so Partnership parenting is parenting without this authoritarian paradigm, and um, again, hate to sound trite, but it's living in partnership. I studied a lot of different parenting modalities, theories, concepts, and philosophies like conscious parenting, aware parenting, hand-in-hand parenting, peaceful parenting, else there's probably attachment parenting and I took the best from all of those things but the one common thread that I did not like even if it was just sort of a nuance some of them blatantly said some of them just sort of implied and and some of them um, had the nuance of how to change the behavior of your children so you'll have a more peaceful family or a more conscious family any time you seek to change the behavior in another person you're controlling and control comes from fear and fear of losing control it, it drives a lot of parents and I wanted to make sure that I didn't step into that because that is authoritarian parent parenting, even though it's disguised as a sweet, sappy, you know, lollipop, and you're speaking kind, you're still trying to manipulate and change the behavior for the parent's convenience. And I think there's something that all of these modalities are missing. They're all great in many ways, but they're missing because they're still manipulating, and they still have an agenda. And partnership parenting, which is a little bit more difficult, it's bringing the mental, health and internal world accountability to the as a part of, or flavor of the partnership. I am the me that I bring. I am the me that has, you know, trauma in my background. That has my own set of triggers, my own set of fears, and my own set of worldviews, my own set of desires and passions. But I also have patterning that will be a part of me throughout the rest of my life, and I'm accountable for that. I'm accountable for the reactions. I'm accountable for the judgments and the triggers and the blow-ups. I'm accountable because that's the me that I bring to the partnership. And so instead of just, as most parents do, brush off when they blow up at a kid and don't even bother to say, I'm sorry, I'm the parent. I have got pressures in it. You just don't understand, child. I don't go there. I honor the human being, regardless of the age and apologize and let them know what was going on internally for me so I can connect in those spaces that are vulnerable. And by modeling that behavior, it's also bringing into our family culture through partnership parenting, this great connection of of accountability. It's also emotional intelligence and emotional awareness of our internal worlds. So this is the manner in which I raise my son and this is what a big part of partnership parenting is, is the knowing of oneself and being aware that this is the self that I'm bringing to the partnership. That's it in a nutshell. There's lots of nuanced stuff that happens, but Yeah. So my book, because my passion is really working with teens. My, as you know, (laughs) I've said many times now, my child is riddled with trauma. For me, the most difficult part of growing up was my own adolescence. And I felt like I was invisible. I felt like I was never seen or heard or understood. Hence, this is the title of my book. So I talk about parent from the parent's perspective how to parent in partnership how to truly see your children and make sure that they feel seen heard and understood and the mental health part is the aspect that we bring to all of our partnerships and instead of saying you need to work on your triggers it's i'm working on my triggers and here's here's the transparency and the vulnerability, because it's part of this relationship.
0: Absolutely. What I love most about the things you just mentioned is that you focus on yourself, you try to change yourself and to understand yourself. And through this, you understand your children, you understand the world. As they say, if you want to change the world, start with yourself. That's so true about everything, including parenting.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think parenting is the most sacred work you can do. This is the most difficult.
0: Right. And my last question that I ask all my guests is related to the title of this podcast, Being Modern, Being Human. Uh, what does it mean to you, being
1: modern and being human? The human part, (laughs) we got down because, you know, we all have our unique quirks and passions and purpose and experiences and traumas, patterning. And the being modern part is no longer allowing the shame of our humanness to quiet the holistic nature of self. And what I mean by that is when I was growing up, it was not in fashion to talk about fears or triggers or any of that stuff, the psychology of the inner world, or even the spirit of the inner world. And I think the truly modern part is about the recognition that we are greater than just our thoughts, our body our spirit we're not just one of the our experiences we're not just one of those things we're all of those things and the moment that you can stop time and capture it great i could be that one thing but we're constantly evolving and we're constantly changing and because you can't stop time the gracefulness that we all need as humans to be gentle with ourselves and our own growth and our own transformations, our own metamorphoses—that That is the beauty. We don't stay the same. Let's evolve and let's not put a glass ceiling at our own evolution. Let's be the grandest versions of ourselves in each and every moment and that's going to be different than the last moment or the last year or the last decade
0: this is beautiful so let's move on and let's be happy moving on thank you very much for this conversation it was a pleasure i wish you all the best in all your projects and whatever comes thank you (laughs)
1: Thank you. Have a beautiful day and keep doing this important work.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoy being modern, being human, I'd love it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback is so valuable to me and helps you make the show better. And if you haven't already, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.